1: Today, our guest is Terry Moore. Thanks for being on the show, Terry. Thank you, Whitney. It's an honor to be with you. Terry is an owner of ACI Apartment Consultants Incorporated and a top apartment broker focused on 50 units or less. He is the only broker in the country to have won the triple crown of investment brokerage, deal maker of the year transaction of the year and CCIM of the year. That's impressive, Terry. I don't care who you are. That's impressive.
0: It is. And I wish I were that good. There may have actually been a typo. It's more like the county of San Diego. So out of three and a half million people, I'm fortunate to do that. So I'm grateful for any award. I wish I were the nation's best, but not even this broker has that much vanity. (laughs)
1: You're doing pretty good. But all of his 15 group investments made money for his investors. In his spare time, he summited Kilimanjaro at 59 and took up triathlons after the age of 60. So Terry, thank you again for your time. It's an impressive bio, and we're happy to have you on the show. Give the listeners a little more about who you are, and let's dive in.
0: I'm fortunate to be married about my station for 42 years, and our team has helped a couple of hundred people become millionaires or multi-millionaires Have actually had two billionaire clients one of whom is still alive but essentially we help real estate investors mostly who are involved in san diego county we help them make the most important financial choice of their next decade and for many of them that's should we buy should we sell should we refinance should we stay in apartments are we ready to do triple nets so we're a client-centered broker trying to help winners become even more successful.
1: Nice. So so helping people to be, helping investors really to, to make those crucial decisions, right? I mean, I feel like, you know, somebody like yourself is such an important teammate, you know, on our team as an operator, as a syndicator, you know, so tell me about how do people find somebody like yourself and, and start to develop that relationship?
0: Well, I hope your beloved never Gets brain cancer. Mm. But just in case you look for an expert, you don't have to know the expert. You need to know how to find the expert. I wrote a book, and in the book, one of the chapters is how to find a great expert. In that particular case, it was how to find an expert broker. But essentially, you ask people who should know, and it's like the seven degrees of separation. You don't know everybody, but you know somebody who knows somebody. If you knew a surgical nurse, the surgical nurse would know who are the great physicians and who are the Clutches, and essentially people, most of our business comes repeat and referral. And when it's referral, it's because we seem to have handled things well, but essentially there's a local realtor group. There's obviously, or there's often investment clubs or investment groups in your areas. There's gurus, there's titans in your areas. There's bankers, appraisers, there's folks who know who the players are. Mm. And if you get a half a dozen potential players, then you come up with your list of questions. And it's not just the nicest person in your Quanah's Club, the most funny person in the Toastmasters, it's not the person in the congregation necessarily. You might meet a finalist or a semi-finalist that way, but you need, I suggest that you want to find somebody who is an expert and who has your best interest at heart. And that's different from the one who's got the most awards and is a salesman at the year at Acme Corp. Because they might be a great salesman, but that doesn't mean that they've got your best interest at heart. Now, how you categorize what you're looking for is different from what I would, but I want somebody who is expert and cares about me and is interested in my satisfaction. So I, I spend a lot of time trying to sort by, not just do they know what they're doing, competence is, is the starting line. But if they're only interested in making a gazillion dollars for themselves or getting another headline for themselves, I can't afford that. That's worse than mediocrity.
1: Sure. So, you know, what about that the the person that's listening that says, Oh, wait a minute, Terry, you know, I have n- you know, little to no experience in real estate. I'm trying to get started. How do I make that relationship with that expert, you know, broker for say that that really is probably not gonna give me much time of his day? Who, you know, who should they look for?
0: I get that. When we were successful here i took a what to me was a big stack of money and i went to a state on the other side of the country and i walked in with my suitcase was full of cash feeling really proud and i talked to one of the best brokers in the state and roughly speaking he said kid occasionally we get scraps as small as what you're talking about at the bottom of the barrel but you're too small for me well guess what i didn't deal with him but i found somebody else essentially You need to get somebody that you think is competent and you may not be able to get the world champion for you and when you do your first syndication you may not be able to get into the very best syndication but essentially you move forward kind of a half a step at a time and the people are excellent at any field they're routinely trying to figure out how can i get just a little bit better and if you don't blow it at first if you make Some progress, you'll be smarter the second time around, the seventh time around, the 27th time around, and the steady improvement isn't part of it. But essentially, try to get in if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to go to a different room. And if you're the dumbest (laughs) person in the room, that's okay if you're paying attention. So it's all right to get no. Failure is part of the path of success. If you haven't failed, you're not trying hard enough. I don't want you to beat your head against the wall, but. Try to get in as big a league as you can handle and then learn a lot. Seems to work.
1: Yes. No, that's great advice. I, I love what you said about, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you need a different room and and it's okay to be the dumbest person as long as you're listening. I, I love that. And so, you know, you, you mentioned knowing that they have our best interest at heart. And I just wonder, you know, how are you judging that? Because I know a lot of us, you know, wonder, oh, wait a minute, you know, is, you know, is he just trying to make another sale here? Or am I getting taken advantage of? How have you navigated that or would suggest that we do?
0: Well, a hundred years ago, Your grandfather, my grandfather, probably grew up in a little bit of town. Just about everybody knew everybody, and it was relatively easy then. Now we've got the internet and social media. So you can Google a lot of folks. You can find people, LinkedIn or somebody else. The San Diego's got over 3 million people, but the reality is we're the biggest small town on our side of the Mississippi. So people who want to know about me, they can find people. You know, I've, I've got 50 videos. People can say, oh, well, I see that you know Joyce or George or Tom, and whether it's LinkedIn, they can find somebody who can say, here's the inside track. A lot of folks who promote, whether they're promoting investments or they're promoting brokerage, will have some kind of public presence, and they should give you the names of people who have dealt with them, do the kind of interview that you would do there, your beloved need brain cancer surgery. So who do you pick? Don't just talk with the ones they give you. But who else do you know who used the services of this person? Again, when somebody's got a, a bunch of money to take, to play with, maybe it's $50,000, maybe it's $50 million, whatever it is, it's a lot to you. You want to be careful with it. You want to be a good steward. And you can do a lot of investigation about the people. One of my best mentors, I didn't understand why he was at the time, but he said it's better to be in a bad deal with good people than a good deal with bad people. I didn't quite get that. My biggest client got in a great deal with a bad person. It was outrageously successful. And every month that my friend, who was a syndicator, was in the deal, he regretted having this other fellow in the deal. The investor was so greedy and he was so unpleasant. It, it was just a bad deal, even though the the investment was outrageously successful. You will always find another good deal, but it's relatively hard to get out of a bad deal. You might get out of it and you kiss all your money goodbye. And that's not much fun. Investigate before you invest and spend a little bit more time. If your beloved had brain cancer, how hard would you
1: look? Hmm. You know, so Terry, you know, you're at this book, you know, building legacy wealth. Why don't you give us a key thing out of your book that, that you're telling people to help them to build legacy wealth?
0: Well, one of the things People will read the book because they want to know how to build wealth. I wrote the book because I wanted to talk to them about legacy. And one of the things that I mentioned in the early beginning is some people should not be landlords. If you're a people pleaser, you may not want to be on the front line. I think of real estate investment as face to face capitalism. There's some people where the right answer is you buy and sell your Google stock at two o'clock at night and you don't talk to nobody. That's the right answer for some folks. And in the book, I'm also, I hope I say it gracefully, but in effect, I say, if you're a bigot, please, 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 please do not become a rental owner. But I offer some suggestions in there that are a little bit less self-diagnosis. But essentially, lots of people can do it, but you need to make sure that you're comfortable with it. Most real estate is relatively patient. A two-year turn is a relatively fast term for a lot of real estate. For a day trader, that's, well, 700 lifetimes. But part of it is seeing what you're good at. One of the ideas that came up in writing the book was poor people should know how rich people work, and rich people should know how poor people live. Recently, I served a guy who has a luxury car dealership and his wife, who is a private banker, they're landlords. But as it turned out, they landlords of homes that rent for $2,000 a month and more. I showed them kind of an ordinary apartment building that their landscaper would live in, that her daycare provider would live in, the person who washes the dishes. And essentially, they freaked out. They went tilt. They could not imagine. They, they didn't know how poor people lived. They walked away from a better than average deal because they said, Well, gosh, to fix my kitchen would cost, and then they named four times as much as it would take to fix the whole apartment. You simply need to be make sure that it's the right fit for you. And for some people, it's not. The book has a few pages that give you some diagnostics to say, if, In these situations, you probably shouldn't be main frontline. It might be that if you're a people pleaser, you hire a property manager who has some of those conversations in your behalf you can still manage. Maybe you should be an investor, limited partnership. That's a perfectly good thing for some people.
1: Are there any other special things that that you suggest in the book that are not standard practice that we haven't mentioned? I have
0: a national writing coach, and he thought that we had a couple of things in there that were novel. Sellers routinely get multiple if it's done right. Sellers routinely get multiple offers. So in effect, sellers have a competition. They are the judge in the beauty contest. And they say, well, we got buyer A, buyer B, buyer C. They routinely get multiple choices. Part of what our craft is, is we kind of reverse that. And so on the buyer, we strongly advocate writing multiple offers. If you and your investors came to San Diego, you know, you looked at the thing and you said the risk reward makes sense. And I would say, here's the deal, dude. We need to write 10 offers where we've got a 50-50 chance of getting a counter. If it's listed for two million dollars and you write a million and a half, you're wasting your time and mind. forget it. But let's write 10 offers So you've got a 50-50 chance of getting a counter. Now some of the deals, they're not gonna play, they're gonna be gone before we get there. But if we get three or four counter offers, then I have what I call an offer dashboard, which kind of says, here's where we are out of these four options, here's how they each look. If you're gonna bet on a race, Most people bet on the race at the beginning. What if you could bet on the race a quarter of the way through or halfway through or three quarters of the way through? I've got an offer dashboard that says, out of the ones that are still standing, what's our best guess about what your outcome will be? My best guess is going to be wrong. You'll be well-informed, and you'll have some guesses too, and we'll come up with our best estimate, but the two things, the multiple offers, and then comparing the things you're not looking for the best deal of the galaxy. If you are, you'll ne- you'll never buy. But if you're looking at the best of the available options in your price range, that's doable. And so we have two tools that have worked well for our clients in terms of ranking the ones which are worth writing offers on, and then getting in that ballpark, getting close to the ones that we've got a chance at, and then periodically updating them to say, all right, based on, where we are today. What are your two or three best options? And then throwing out the ones that don't work and keep them moving forward on the ones. Some people look at investing like a marriage proposal. I'm not gonna ask this person for a date until I know they're the perfect mate. No, wrong choice. Better, coffee date. You invite a few people for coffee dates, the ones that don't work, you're courteous, have a nice life, goodbye, you're done. The ones that are kind of interesting, maybe you have breakfast, maybe you have lunch. Maybe eventually you get engaged but you just need at first a broad screen and then intelligent winnowing to make sure that you're getting the ones where you can benefit them, where you can benefit the property and you can create value for other people it's a bunch of little steps it's not the home run
1: what about standing out to that seller you know you talked about that seller you know being getting to pick from numerous people and you talked about you know as as the buyer we need may put out 10 offers and then uh, I love how you broke that down maybe maybe we have 3 then that we're actually getting to pick from then and, and move forward with you know at that point but what about you know a way that the buyer can stand out to that seller that's getting numerous offers sure smart question
0: part of what i suggest in the book is A little bit of self-diagnosis. An unexamined life isn't worth living. If you figure out what your skills are, one of my friends says, what is your superpower? Hmm, Have you ever heard of that? Actually, you're the guy who said that. So if you know what you excel at, then you can accent that. If you can take risk away from the seller, if you can create value that doesn't cost you very much, that's a good thing. So one of my clients, when we were in a competitive situation, he offered a relatively large chunk of non-refundable money relatively quickly. We did an inspection for a buyer today, somebody who has multiple properties. He wrote an all-cash offer. We looked at a, it wasn't quite as ugly as homemade sin, but it, it won't make the front cover of the insurance magazine's investment publication. But essentially, this guy can solve a problem for the seller, and that is, he doesn't need a loan, he doesn't need an appraisal, and the fact that the building is worn and has some things that are not in compliance with code and maybe never were this guy can use his strength he can give to the seller peace of mind and certainty of clothes and that should be worth some extra money but part of it is trying to figure out what problem can i solve for the other guy and not everybody thinks that way lots of people think well how do i make the most money and it's kind of a shallow life and it's not necessarily a productive way to make money, but if you are trying to create value for the other person, if you're trying to take risk away from the other person in a way that's that's not scary to you, you can get more than your fair share of deals. By the way, if you have a circle of influence, the syndicator, the broker, whoever else is involved, and they have a track record, and they're known as being trusted and competent, we've won more than our fair share of deals, partially because people trusted us, and they, they looked us up and they figured out we have clients who do what they say and say what they do. And we recently won an assignment where there were other people who also were impressive, but they did some research on them and they did some research on us. And they said, you know, we we don't like the number you told us, but we believe the number you told us. The other guy said something that sounded better, but we think you're telling us the truth and not what we want to hear. And we're going to try to deliver on that.
1: I like that. I like that. Well, unfortunately, Terry, we were running low on time, but I've got a few more questions for you. One that everybody wants to know is how how are you prepared, or suggesting people prepare for this potential downturn that everybody's talking about?
0: I hope we live long enough to see several of them. I predicted this current recession about three years ago, and well, it hasn't happened yet. It doesn't hurt to have extra liquidity in San Diego County. Recession's are kind of immaterial to us. We don't cut prices. We don't cut rents. We're, I won't say bulletproof, but we're so diversified, it's not a big deal here. But I have gotten in trouble when I didn't have enough cash when I didn't have enough reserve. And so I try to avoid that in the future. I routinely tell people, have a little bit more cash than you think you need. You might need it.
1: Great advice. So Terry, what's a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours?
0: I got a coach who was smarter than I am, who told me the truth, whether I wanted it or not, I did want it. And it persistently told me the truth when I wasn't doing it. Coaches help you do better than you could on your own. And some people say, gosh, I can't afford a coach. But if you look at the best in almost any field, they've got coaches. Whoever your favorite sports player is, he or she probably has a coach.
1: Numerous coaches normally, right? You said coaches. I've got three
0: coaches and there's only one of me. And that's kind of ludicrous, but I'm better for my clients because of what they've challenged and pushed me to do. Couldn't agree more. One of the ideas Malcolm Gladwell popularized is 10,000 hours. And it's not 10,000 hours of doing exactly the same thing. It's doing things you're not very good at. You try it, you fall on your face. You try it, you fall on your shins. You try it, you fall on your shoulder. You try it, you stumble a little bit. You try it, you do it a little bit further. You fall again. It's trying things you're not good at. That's what deliberate practice is. It's not repeating what you're already good at. Is practicing what you haven't mastered yet. That's what's hard, is routinely setting the bar higher and higher.
1: Is that out of a specific book? Malcolm Gladwell has read
0: half a dozen books, and I yes. don't remember which one that is.
1: No, he's got some really good ones. I just wondered. Yeah, that, uh, he's definitely. An I, I will think about, of it I right read. after the interview <laughs> is <all> over. Right.
0: <laughs> but if, if you look for deliberate practice Malcolm Gladwell, he didn't invent the idea, but he popularized it. But it's in one of his. One of his three most popular books, but I don't remember which one. Yeah,
1: that's all right. Uh, What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success, Terry? Trying to
0: please an audience of one. A hundred years from now, you and I are going to be gone. And we're not going to be measured by how big the inheritance we left behind, but how well we treated other folks. That's only hard for me to live on the days that end and why. But to the extent that I try to love God, to the extent that I try to treat other people, The more I do that, the better off I am. When I do something stupid and I'm ashamed of it the next morning, that's never good. But as I try to live a life that benefit others, that routinely points me in the right direction. I fall a lot, I stumble a lot, but that's the thing that keeps me moving forward. I could have retired a decade ago, my wife would have liked that. And honey, I eventually will, I promise. But part of the reason I keep coming back is so that we can contribute. It's in the Great Recession, I was like an orchestra conductor, and nobody wanted music. They didn't want hip hop, they didn't want jazz, they didn't want classical, they didn't want country or Western. And I was pretty good at some of that stuff, and nobody cared. And I was clinically depressed almost, not quite, but I was bummed out. And a few years later, we did 10 times as much business. I wasn't a better person, but I got more satisfaction because part of the skills I'd had were able to benefit other people. We could have retired then, but I came back because I like to add value to others. It's not the right answer for everybody, but that's part of what keeps me going.
1: That's an awesome response and goes right into our last question that says, how do you like to give back?
0: We're involved with a, a local congregation, and so we're part of that body. There's a series of nonprofits that we contribute to the people that I care about, I pray for. And the people on my team, I try to make them better off. So that 100 years from now, when I'm gone, or maybe even 100 months from now, when I've retired, that they'll be better off. And relatively speaking, making money is not that hard. But if you have the right, if you have the right gifts, the right talent, and some things, it's relatively easy. But trying to add, make a permanent, long-term positive advantage to other folks. That's a bit of a stretch and takes a bit more strategic planning. But that's part of what I aim for. It doesn't mean I achieve it very often, but that's part of what I aim for.
1: Thanks for sharing that, Terry, and giving back in that way. And, and most importantly, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and find your book. Thank you.
0: Well, it's on Amazon. Let's see. It's called Building Legacy Well, And the second edition is coming out. It's going to have a slight word change. It's going to be How to Lead a Life Worth Imitating. And I can be found at SanDiegoApartmentBroker.com. And my email is T-M-O-O-R-E 1031 at Gmail. I was the first one in my county to have 1031 in my phone and in my email. And guess what? I'm not the only one who does
1: it now. But thanks for asking. All right, Terry, that's a wrap. Thank you very much. Thank
0: you. That was very gracious of you.
1: Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the real estate syndication show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter.